This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. This is Robert Kraft, and I'm your host on the Planet Microcap podcast, and we have an awesome guest for you today. I'm really excited to have her here. It's Anna Najai Conti. Uh, before we get to our interview today, I just want to remind everybody that we actually uh, now have live our initial speakers, sponsor, sponsors, sponsors, and agenda on our website. Uh, go to conference.snn.network. That's where you can go and register for our upcoming virtual event, August 3rd through the 6th. You're actually going to see Anna there on a really amazing panel that we've been planning and working on, and I'm just so excited for it. You'll hear a little bit more about it later in this interview. Uh, first thing, I want to introduce you guys a little bit more, give you a little bit of Anna's background. She is a passionate believer in the empowerment of women and minorities in America. Uh, she is the founder of Dare to Dream Financial Planning. It's a fee-only virtual financial planning firm that serves the needs of 30 to 40-something women of color uh, who want to live boldly and make a lasting impact on their family tree. Uh, she's also the host of the First Gen Realness Podcast, which I highly recommend everybody go listen to in preparation for our interview today. I listened to a few episodes and it's, it's just, it's, it's powerful. It's short and sweet each episode, but it's very powerful um, what she has to say there. And, uh, and there she engages in conversations with her fellow first generation Americans in order to reinforce their value and immense contributions to the fabric of America. And by fostering a sense of community, she hopes to remind her peers that they matter, their stories are important, and they are not alone in attempting to navigate multiple cultures with grace. With that, we have Anna Najai Conti here from Dare to Dream Planning. Anna, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Bobby. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you on. This is a, like I said at the, at the opening here, not only excited to have you on here, but also to join us for the panel uh, at the event, which will be titled Ending Systemic Racism, How the Finance Industry Can Do Better. It's an all-star lineup. I'm so stoked to be there. So, yes. Looking forward to it myself too. Yes. So, so with that, let, I'd love to start with your background. You know, what, when yeah. and where did your passion for investing in finance begin? Yeah, um, it was very accidental. Um, I thought I would be like running an NGO and saving the world um, when I was like picking my majors in college. And um, I came across it by happenstance, but I really it married the the financial planning profession really married so much of what i love doing and what i'm good at like i'm good at math i like problem solving i like you know putting pieces puzzle pieces together um and i like people like i'm very extroverted so i like talking to people so this kind of marries all of that together um so it was a very happy fortuitous coincidence that that i fell into this profession very cool. So, I mean, was there, was there an experience in particular, you know, as, as you were starting to develop, you know, what you wanted to do with your career that was like, okay, financial planning done. Yeah. So I graduated college in the middle of the great recession, which was not the best time in the world <laughs> to be entering the job market. Um, especially when you had no real, um, like, clue as to what your trajectory was going to be. Um, but I, I, 
because I'm bilingual, I got a job um, organizing conferences for people that wanted to invest in Latin America and because I speak Spanish fluently. So I organized an event focused on wealth management um, in Latin America. And in talking to people in the industry, they were telling me about what they do every day and like kind of the, the general trends in the industry and what their day to day was like. And I was like, that sounds like it. Like that sounds like something I could be really great at. And um, I think I landed my first job in the industry like a month or two later at two months at most. Yeah. So what were some of those, those when at your first job in, in, in financial services, you know, what were some mm -hmm. of those experiences like, I mean, what, what were some of the things that you learned there? Yeah. Um, I have to say my eyes were really opened, um, to the immense amount of wealth that was around in the world. Um, I, you know, you, I didn't, I don't come from money, right? Like a, a very solidly middle-class background. Um, my parents are immigrants, right? And so seeing somebody with like a, a, a what, what is that? Eight figure or nine figure portfolio, like absolutely blew my mind. Um, and so it made me, and, and also just from a knowledge standpoint, it also made me realize how much I did not know about finances and, you know, how to manage your finances, how to manage your money, investing. Like I, it was just, my eyes were opened to a level that I didn't realize that how close they were. Um, and this is with two really savvy parents. And I grew up in New York city, which is obviously like the finance hub of the world. Um, my parents are accountants, so you would think I would have a clue, like they, they know about money, but I really had no idea. And so I, it just, it was so eye-opening. Um, it, it was really, really cool. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? I mean, you know, uh, what, what I find common amongst all my guests on here is, is that it's always a, not always, but sometimes it's a happy accident that we land mm -hmm. into finance or, mm -hmm we have, you know, maybe we're more math centric or we, we enjoy learning about other businesses and ultimately you find yourself into investing. I mean, it's yes. fine. You know, I, I've, my, my parents weren't accountants, but my dad was on wall street for over 30 years and mm -hmm. it took me until college where then even for me, I was like, all right, I want to independently understand this more mm -hmm. as opposed to, you, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty interesting like that, huh? Totally. And I think, um, you know, having been in this, this wealth management business is interesting because it, a lot of it is like a family legacy, right? Like dad or mom have a business and then they might pass it on. They might bring their kids on or their, their, um, their son or daughter-in-law into the business. But that's not always the case. A lot of times the kids are like, I don't, I don't have a clue and I don't care. Um, there might be one who, who wants to get involved, but they oftentimes take their own path there as well. Um, and even if they do join dad or mom, they are um, doing their own thing or trying to shake things up and, and do it in their own way. Well, you know what? I think, I think my main point is that it speaks to just financial illiteracy, you know, not just in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in uh, poor neighborhoods, but also white neighborhoods, you know, I mean, yeah. in our, in our high schools and middle schools, I mean, the only mm -hmm. thing I remember doing anything having to do remotely with stocks in the classroom was my dad coming into my fifth grade class saying, Hey, we're going to do a fantasy stock picking class. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just micro caps for my micro cap yeah. fans out there, but you know, it, it was, you know, just anything out there. And, and that was literally the only exposure I had in school. 
You know, did yeah. you have a similar experience? I did. I think I want to say I was probably fourth or fifth grade too. I don't remember exactly when. I was probably about nine or ten years old. And we had, I remember looking at the newspaper at like the classified back when we used to do that and look at like the stock prices. And I remember like we had a fantasy competition. I think I bought Coke. Um, but like there was absolutely no tying like the fundamentals of investing to the fundamentals of building wealth. And there was not really much conversation about like, how do you pick a stock? It was mostly like, okay, boys and girls, everybody pick a stock. And then at the end of this, we'll see who wins. Like that was really <laughs> like whose who's stock went up the most. And there was no tie to anything, um, you know, talking about compounding interest or dividends or capital appreciation. Like there was none of that. It was just like, you know, which, which ticker symbol do you like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We're going to change that. I already feel it. I feel me and you. We're, we're, yes. we're going to change that, you know, hopefully. Soon. If I have anything to do with it, we will. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, uh, so I, I want to fill the gap then. So from starting your first jobs in wealth management to then mm -hmm. founding Dare to Dream Financial Planning. So fill that gap for me. You know, what then yeah. eventually led to, to founding your company? Yeah, I, um, I moved around a bit. Um, I worked at a few different firms in my career and you know, the traditional wealth management space is very focused on large portfolios, um, mostly like pre-retirees or retirees um, or very wealthy families, like you're talking multi-generational wealth, right? And it just didn't resonate with me in a way that I wanted to be doing that every day of my life for the rest of my, uh, every day for the rest of my life, right? I wanted to work with people that were like me. So uh, I made the leap to entrepreneurship uh, late last year, um, third quarter of 2019. And um, with the idea that I would serve communities of color as a source of, of um, financial education and really, you know, contribute to easing a lot of the financial anxiety that that we see as a society and it's really really problematic and it's rife and i feel as though it um it really hinders our ability to live like really profoundly fulfilled lives and so i wanted to have this be like my way of contributing to that and changing that um and frankly like it's just fun you know like i'm it's, it's fun for me to take a, a, a married couple who's 35 and want to figure out like how they can do all of these different things, you know, balancing childcare, ba paying off student loans, buying their first investment property and doing all of those kind of things and really seeing them get excited about like what the future holds for them um, and their finances. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and I haven't regretted the moment of it since I, since I did it. Absolutely. I mean, so when, when you were conceiving of Dare to Dream, I mean, did you also have in the back of your mind, you know, just look, you're, I hate to say this, but you're the first black woman I've had on the podcast. I'm sure that yeah. must be similar experiences you, when, when you were working at the wealth management. Oh, totally. Um, you know, there was always a lack of melanin, as we would say. Um, it was pretty pronounced. It varied to differing degrees, but the one thing that was consistent was certainly in terms of people that really achieve that next level. And I'm a very ambitious person. I push myself. I push myself really hard, and I strive for excellence in everything I do. And so, 
you know, it was hard for me to see people at that executive next level who were doing well um, that I could emulate. And so I kept saying like to myself, like, if I'm not seeing people that look like me, or if I do see people that look like me, they're single and maybe don't have a family and I'm married with children and I am unabashed in like my ambition to have a beautiful, well-rounded life. Like I don't want it to just be my career. I don't want it to just be my family either. And so I knew that I was going to have to find a way outside of this system um, that was going to serve me and allow me to like spread my wings and do what I felt called to do um, the way I wanted to do it. Absolutely. No, I'm, I mean, it, it just, it, it makes total sense. And, and, and just, it, I, I really can appreciate what you're, what you're doing right now, you know, because at the end of the day, um, I, I don't, I haven't seen, and this is maybe my own ignorance. So, you know, you're one of the first ones I've, I've seen that actually has a firm, not, not just directed to, for, for people of color, but women of color and then millennials, you know, yeah. I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, you, you're hitting all three. <laughs> I am. I'm like super niche down, you know, because I, the thing is, I know so many people like I, I can't you, I get the question a lot. Like, is there really enough of a market for this to be viable? But yes, there is like there are. Um, I know dozens and dozens and dozens. And this is just in my like immediate circle of women that are in their 30s and 40s who have great professional jobs, went to college, went to grad school and they're doing well financially and they just need some guidance on how to properly manage their finances because one, we're not taught as a society, like we already touched on that. We're not given financial education in school. And then two, the other thing is, you know, when you don't come from money, it's that much harder to figure out like how you can manage your money. And when your parents don't have any money and nobody in your immediate family has any money, like not to say that they're poor, but like they have not built a level of financial stability that you're trying to achieve. And so when you don't see that, you don't know how to get there. And so I wanted to serve as a resource for that. And so, you know, I, like I said, I get this question a lot. Like, is there, not, is there really enough people for that? But there are. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I already know just anecdotally that that it's a huge, huge untapped like portion of our society because everybody's wanting to work with the people with $3 million liquid. And that's fine. That's great. Let them do that. But that's not what I'm choosing. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's get into the firm's philosophy even further. You know, as you stated on the website, you are a passionate believer in the empowerment of women and minorities in America, yeah. which, you know, we've, we've also talked about here uh, thus far, you know, can you describe your firm's philosophy and, and really in a nutshell with the importance of the work that you're doing? I know you kind of yeah. more or less just said that, but, but, you yeah. know, let, let's dive deeper. Sure. Um, so I, I uh, do comprehensive financial planning. Um, portfolio, I do portfolio management as well, but that's a bolt on. Um, really, I want to take people on like the quantitative traditional financial planning journey that they would get, you know, going to any financial planner out there, but also um, a culturally sensitive and understanding non-judgmental educational piece as well um which i think is really key because you know it can be intimidating um 
when you are on the younger side and you know you go into one of these big brokerage firms or you go into an RIA and nobody looks like you and then you want to ask them like I don't really understand what a traditional IRA is that can be really intimidating and I think it leads to worse outcomes overall um, and you know in terms of my impact like I really believe that money provides everybody with choices and I want and I think communities of color really are starved for choices. Um, I think we live very um, disempowered lives oftentimes because we don't want to try too much. We're or or we have ha we have tried and had you know our our dreams dashed for whatever reason. And so I think that when you are financially empowered, that means that you have more choices, and that means you can live like a a, a bigger more prosperous life and i also think it means people can't mess with you um to be honest like you know if i have money um you and you feel secure um you're willing to be a little bit more bold and stand up for yourself more um whether that be with your boss whether that be with a spouse whether that be with you know somebody you encounter out 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 about your business whatever that may be i think it's it's really impactful well, you you actually went in went into this in in I think it was in episode six about mm -hmm. why money matters and and I think yeah. it was it, it, I think it was either redistribution or distribution to um, women of color, right? I, I think yeah, that, yeah. I think that was the exact okay. Let, let's I want to uh, let's let's pick up on that. Let's go down that path yeah. with, with that yeah. episode because I thought that was really powerful and important. So can you explain your thesis there and and maybe yeah. a little background? Sure. So I, I was really, I mean, I recorded this like episode the day after I watched this, but I listened to this podcast um, by NPR Planet Money and they were talking about, you know, this COVID-19 crisis and about how, you know, uh, essential workers like grocery store workers and pharmacy workers are really at the forefront of being at risk for contracting COVID. But it was highlighting these lower paid folks who tend to be women of color or people of color in general and how they just don't have many choices. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like they can't quit their job. That doesn't pay them very well to begin with because they might not have much of a financial safety net to be able to afford to just be at home and not, not earn a paycheck. And because there are so many people unemployed in the country right now, that means that like, even if they leave, like they don't have much leverage and it just reminded me so much of why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, and I've touched on my background um, a bit, but, you know, I, I come from a family of very strong women who, you know, whether that be by choice or by circumstance, you know, oftentimes we're single moms and they had to figure things out. And I saw so many women in my family have to make these kind of terrible choices. Now, you can change the variables, but the reality is, is that a lack of money meant that they did not have the ability to make the choice that they wanted to make for their life. And so I think by seeing, seeing that, I never really understood what the problem was, what was missing, right? I was like, why don't you just leave this terrible boyfriend? Like, I don't understand what this person is doing. Or like, why are you, you complain about this job every day? Like, just leave. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I saw the pressures that they were under. And really, I realized that it was just a financial choice and a, and a, and a fear-based choice that I realized that money can be 
a really powerful behavior change and the circumstance change. Um, and so, you know, I want to also empower my clients in a way so that, you know, they don't have to deal with whatever it is, whatever, whatever the, the variable is. Um, they don't have to live in a house they don't want to live in. They don't have to be married to that guy anymore. And not to say that he's really terrible, but whatever it is, I want them to be able to actively choose the life they want and not just be deciding against something, you know? hundred percent. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's, it, it was, it was pretty interesting to see that be, you know, using COVID-19 also as kind of the, the background to bring this issue to light really, mm -hmm. because it, because for, for whatever reason, and maybe again, it's probably my own ignorance. It's been affecting, you know, communities of color much more than it has been yeah. of, of white communities, which is, yeah. I mean, I think it's partially because of that, because, uh, you know, your nurses and your, your nurses are, and your, um, uh, home attendants are oftentimes women of color. Um, your grocery store workers are oftentimes people of color. Um, all of these people, your bus drivers, all of these people that are out and about still, while we have the, the privilege of being in lockdown and being home and working from home and having that safety, they don't have that option. And so that means, I mean, I don't know from a health standpoint, but I'm just talking like sheer exposure. That's huge. Yeah. All right. So I want to take a step back because I want to, I, I, I really would, I, I wanted to um, share with our audience a little bit more about, you know, the process at Dare to Dream Plane. We're going to come back to your podcast because I do have another question okay. on one of the episodes, you know, okay. but uh, I, I, let, let's, we're going to, we're going to, let's play. We're going to, we're going to play a little bit, you know, let, okay. let's, Let's say, you know, I, I just signed up with your firm, you know, mm -hmm. and what, what are the main things that, you know, you, you just took me on as a client, the main things you had me do first and then and, mm -hmm. and some other things that you'd have me think about? Yeah. Um, so we're going to do like an intense data gathering, right? So I'm going to ask you for every financial statement, every like loan statement, your paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you name it, you name it. And I want it. Um, I'm just kidding. So Mom, that, I know where all that is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I promise. I um, so I would um, ask you to provide all of that to me. And then we would have a call where, you know, I would ask you a lot of questions, both about what your dreams and aspirations and goals are for your life. And then also just practical, like, why are you, you know, um, contributing to a Roth versus a traditional, you know, all of those kind of conversations. Um, and then from there, we would, uh, we'd also do a lot of work on like your relationship with money and your money mindset, right? Like I would ask you questions like how, you know, how do you feel about money? How, you know, what are your anxiety points? What are your stress points? All of those kind of things. What makes you feel financially powerful? Those, we, we'd have those kind of conversations as well so that I can understand what your hangups are to help try and control for that in terms of um, creating the actual plan. And, um, from there, then we'd, we'd actually, I'd actually devise the plan. We'd talk about it, talk through what that means on a practical standpoint. You know, you have to contribute X amount. Now we're going to pay off this debt first, and then we'll work on that other goal, whatever it may be. Um, and then we'd, we'd continue to be in touch on an ongoing basis too. I got to say the timing of marketing yourself as a virtual financial planner couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, right? geez, you know, I mean, <laughs> not that you, I not that you want to get any kind of commercial place in New York anyway, because yeah. it's always, it's already ridiculous, but you know, yeah. that, that worked out a lot. 
Totally, <laughs> totally. I I didn't really realize how um, poised I would be for for this pandemic, um, but it's worked out well for me. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, look, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you know uh, one investing question. You know, because this is mm-hmm. a microcap podcast. I'm not expecting you to yeah. be into micro. You might be, which would be really awesome. But you know, um, if you had to call yourself a certain type of investor, you know, what would it be? And and you know, just for even your own portfolio, what, what would be your own thesis that you look for with yeah. companies you're looking to invest in? Um, I like to keep things simple. Um, even though I enjoy investing and I enjoy talking about investing, I think that most people are not interested in it. And because they're not interested in it or they're intimidated by it or whatever, they're just not going to end up taking very great care of it. And so, you know, if, I like to put my clients in a broadly diversified portfolio. A um, lot of a lot of ETFs in there, um, some single stocks, but mostly ETFs because I think, like I said, they're they're just not going to take the time to understand it, to monitor it, to reassess, to rebalance. Like they're just not going to do that. And so, rather than set them up to just not do what they should be doing, I'd rather just set them up so to whereas they are. Um, they're poised for success despite the lack of action. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that, that makes, that makes total sense. And, that, and it, it, especially when you're looking at passive investors as well, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I think we can all agree that if you're going to be a passive investor, you're better off looking at ETFs versus yeah. individual stock picking. Cause that's where yeah. you can really lose your shorts. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, Totally. And I, I'm not opposed to individual stocks at all. I own individual stocks as well, um, like on a personal level. But I think that that does not need to be the bulk of your assets, um, especially if you are first starting with investing. And I think for communities of color, a lot of times, you know, their families don't invest. Like for me, I only know of like and, and I come from a decently middle-class background. Like I said, I have one aunt that I know had an investment portfolio. Besides that, literally nobody in my family has ever had an investment portfolio. So if it's my first foray into that, I have no experience with this. Like not even anybody to talk to about it or even to like remind me like, oh, have you checked your portfolio lately? I think it's just, it's just a recipe for your inviting problems. If you, unless it's just something you love and you geek out on it and you want to look at it all the time, like great. But um it's it it can be it can be tricky i was gonna that's actually this is we're going down an interesting path because one of my questions i actually wanted to ask you is like what are some of the most common questions that you get asked from from your clients you know whether it's investing or wealth management you know from any of the services that you do what are what are some of those faqs um i think we oftentimes are very focused on like cash flow can i afford it um and also i say like how do i get started investing so obviously somebody that's looking for my services is going to be like decently financially empowered right or like determined to get there so you know i don't want to blanket and say that that's everybody but i think that they are often very focused on like learning more about investing and and are really hungry to understand like how that is going to play into building long-term wealth because we all hear this like you know you have to invest compound interest yada 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 but 
they don't necessarily always have the practical understanding of like, okay, when we say investing, what am I doing? Like, am I buying individual ETFs and individual stocks? What, like, I don't understand what am I doing? Um, and I want to know how to get, how to get there. Absolutely. No, it makes total sense. Okay. So now I want to go back to your, to your podcast. Um, mm -hmm. you know, um, in, in episode four, it's titled uh, first generation wealth. I think it's titled yeah. first generation wealth building. Yeah. But you know, I, I really wanted to know a little bit more about your thesis and what you would say are the concrete steps that first generation Americans can take to help start and sustain their wealth building goals. Yeah. Um, I think the underpinning for all of it, and this is something that people sleep on a lot um, in our industry, I think people like to make it about, um, you know, picking the right stock or timing the market right. And like, you know, picking that next Amazon. People like to focus on the hype and the gimmicky stuff, which I think the investing stuff is great. But I think that that what they don't really realize that is really, really crucial is your mindset around money. And, um, and I think that is the first thing that's really important. You have to... One, understand that this is going to be like, it's really intimidating. It feels weird. You don't know anybody with any money. And then you say, you know, I want to be a millionaire. Like that's really hard. And so you're starting from scratch, right? You are, I like to liken it to, um, and I think I said this in that episode, like you're building a house from scratch and you have to find a reputable electrician. You have to find a reputable plumber. You have to find a, a general contractor that, that you can trust and you have to figure it all out on your own. Um, and so there's going, to, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be intimidating. You're probably going to stumble and like, you know, put a window in crooked, whatever, <laughs> but you have to continue to, um, to continue on that path. And I think, Understanding also like your cultural money um, habits are, are really important. Um, I think it's it's something that that we don't focus on. We focus, like I said, we focus on like the shiny object over there and like the cool, fun aspect of it, but that's not necessarily what is really going to be fundamental. And then I think just educating yourself on the basics beyond that, um, which can be hard to find like really good, solid um, information in that that's concrete and, and can help you make, take concrete action from it can be difficult, but I think that's really the key. Once you've done some of that other work, cause then it's just numbers, right? And once you understand your relationship to money, then, then it's just numbers. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm trying here, but at the end of the day, I've invested PD up on a tab always, yeah. you know, I mean, why not? Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> me too. That, that's the thing is like, we, we, I mean, I think about this stuff all day long and even still, like I have to look things up sometimes and you're not going to know everything and you're not going to be perfect. But I think giving yourself that grace and that space to like follow that path and staying committed to it is, is really the key. So I wanted to follow up on one phrase that you just said that I'm, I'm, I just want to understand better is what, what do you mean by cultural money habits? I mean, well, this is like every culture has a different way of relating to money okay. and they have a different relationship with money and their relationship with money or the, or their, um, the way that they view building wealth or having wealth is going to be different. Right. So I'll give you like an example, like 
my my husband um he my husband is also first generation american his ethnic group they are very big on like business and wealth and and like they are they are very big on that but the funny thing about them is they will be incredibly wealthy like i mean i mean actually like own millions of dollars worth of property or a business or whatever it is and they will live in the most like um spartan to put it nicely <laughs> of of dwellings right like this person can literally have 10 million us dollars in a bank account and they live in africa and they will you know choose actively choose not to like buy lavish furnishings and so when you come from a background like that where they are placing value on building assets and taking care of your family that might mean that you are going to feel a lot of guilt about spending anything on yourself. And so that is going to inform how you're going to use your money. Right. So you're going to probably like be penny pinching and just like shoving every extra dollar into your bank account or sending every extra dollar to relatives that might need it. And if you don't understand that, that that's not how everybody relates to money, you're not going to realize that your habits might not be the most healthy. So it's more or less having like going through with your clients what the what maybe is their cultural money habit yeah. and and yeah. then and then saying you know you can do that you know it's perfectly okay mm-hmm. we're not saying there's anything wrong just saying there's other ways you can also think about absolutely spending your money basically absolutely and that's going to be different with every culture like you see a lot of cultures where they're very big on you know my from my family background they're very big on buying gold jewelry and like gold is fine but i can't have all of my net worth tied up in bracelets like i that's not a great idea and for lots of reasons liquidity reasons and if somebody steals it or you know there are just lots of reasons that that it's not it's not um a great idea uh, and understanding that can, can be really impactful in terms of like changing your financial behaviors. And, and forgive me if I ask this in a, in a ignorant way, I, I'm, I want to be very sensitive, but I mean, is this a uniquely person of color experience? Because I mean, as a, as a white person, you know, the idea of the cultural money, ha- I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. you mean like, you know, Jews versus, uh, versus the Irish over there, you know, like, I, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. You know, I don't know. I don't know, but I would guess no, okay. because I think that we all have, we all have a, um, a way of relating to money. And that might be like, if you're from the South, you might view money a little bit differently. If you're from the Northeast, you might view money a little bit differently. You know, even anecdotally too, like my husband and I are from similar cultures, but I grew up in New York City. And so for me, like, I I lived literally in a one bedroom apartment with my parents until I was 12 years old. So I am very comfortable like living smaller and like whatever. My husband, on the other hand, grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where they have big spacious houses. And like, like the idea of living in a small apartment with all of our kids and me, like would make him crazy. And so that's just a regional thing, right? And that's just like a lifestyle thing. So I think you would even see that across the country too. Got it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just, I was just so curious about that. No, I get it. I've never heard that before. So that that was really interesting. So um, so now I'm, you know, as I said at the very, at the opening here, um, you're going to be a panelist on uh, a panel that we're going to have at our, uh, upcoming virtual event, yeah. uh, titled, 
uh, ending systemic racism, uh, how the finance industry can do better. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 for me personally, you know, I, I didn't post anything really on social media because I didn't really, I didn't know what I could do or say that would be more effective or, or, or really have any kind of extra meaning. And I felt, you know, what's yeah. the one way that I can potentially do something and that's using my humble, you know, not huge, but a humble little platform and following yeah. to try and bring about some kind of change uh, within yeah. our, our industry. You know, I, as I said earlier, you know, you're the first black woman I've had on my podcast, which I'm, you know, I'm stoked about now, but I'm also really yeah. quite sad that it's taken this long. And that's yeah. something that I know I have to work on, you know, and yeah. I've only had two uh, black males on, you know, as well, you know, and so, you know, I know, at least I'm just saying publicly right now, like, I know I'm going to be doing better to try and give more voice, or give my yeah. platform and, and, and expose more voices, because mm-hmm. I think it's, I, sorry, I'm going on a pulpit here, I apologize, I'm cutting into what <laughs> you have to say, but, no. but, 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 but ultimately, at the end of the day, like, I want people, and my audience, and just the wider community to associate finance, not just with old white guys, you know, yeah. that yeah. there's a lot of diverse voices out there, you know, mm-hmm. but now to the, now to the, I guess I, the, the very weighted question that I'd ask you that we're going to be discussing at length on the panel, you know, but, but really, you know, from your perspective, you know, what are some of the things that, that we as an industry can, can do better in terms of race yeah. relations and just providing more opportunity? Yeah. Um, I think like we really have to do a lot with hiring. Um, I think that the financial services industry does itself a great disservice by, um, continuing to hire based on personal network and not holding itself accountable to not having a diversity of hires. Because, you know, I think I've read somewhere that like black women are one of the largest groups of um, college graduates now, and um, that they also are like 42, 42% of new businesses that are founded are um, um, owned by black women. And so if you look at from the, from the client side and from the hiring like HR side, we're just missing out on opportunities. Like there's a whole huge pool of talent that is not being tapped into all because, you know, we want to hire somebody that we went to high school's buddy's kid for a job. And it's just not, um, I think it's from a dollars and cents standpoint, it's stunting our own growth. Um, I think also we have to recognize that like the financial services industry is known for money for both for managing money and for making lots of money. And so I think we have to make a very concerted effort to uh, continue to invest in underserved communities as well. And to um, share some of that bounty, you know, I think frankly, like, you know, at, I am a very charitably oriented person and granted, I'm just like a small fish in all of this big picture. Right. But, um, you know, all of this, um, turmoil that we've been seeing and the protests that we've been seeing in our country has really prompted me to look at my business model and to commit to a portion of my profits going towards causes that are racial, social, economic justice oriented. And so I think if we all as an industry 
just picked a cause. And I'm not saying it has to be racial social justice oriented, but I, I think that's a great place to start. Um, but if we all did that, like even if it was just half of a percent, imagine the impact that we would have uh, in this country if we did that. It's just, it's huge, you know? And I think that we have so much capital and so much power and so much leverage, frankly, also over uh, lawmakers and legislation that's passed and those kind of things. Like if we actually cared, this would, this would have been fixed a long time ago. Absolutely. You know, one, one other point that, I, and, I, and I, I'm hijacking this from Tyrone when we talked <laughs> offline for, for, yeah. for this panel. Tyrone you know, like, is the king of this. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I love Tyrone. He's, he's amazing. He's amazing. I, he really I, is. And, and um, one, one of his main points that, he, that we talked about that we'll be covering in this panel also, and, and Tyrone, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I'm bogarting your point. You're going to do a much <laughs> better job and eloquently saying it than I will. But really, you know, you, he was talking about how, you know, um, wealth managers or different, you know, Goldman Sachs, big firms, you know, they go to the Yales and the Princetons to look for talent, but yet not going to historically black colleges and universities Absolutely. to find Absolutely. talent, you know, and they complain about the lack of diversity and yet, well, it's, it's right there. It's yeah. HBCUs, like there's a yeah. lot of, it's a lot of black and these people. these are there. great like, school. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Like there, and there are, they're great schools too. Like Howard, Morehouse, Spelman, like these are amazing schools like that churn out like a vast quantities of really wicked smart super intelligent super educated people so why would you not want that it just it just doesn't make any sense and i you know the cynic in me the cynical new yorker in me wants to be like they're doing it on purpose but i'm gonna leave that that's neither here nor there the point is is that it is uh it's a problem and it needs to be fixed. Like, and there are really concrete, easy solutions. Like just, that's one of them. Set up, go to a career day at, at Morehouse every year and commit to it. You're gonna go to Harvard's career fair. You're gonna go to Morehouse. There's no reason not to. It's, it's I mean, it's a pretty simple solution. Yeah. Like why yeah. just, just set up, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's kind of funny when you, cause when you think holistically, there's so many incredible, from all races, just incredibly successful people that did yeah. not go to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, you know, I mean, absolutely. I, I've interviewed so many people on my podcast that consciously that were more than qualified to go to get their MBAs at Harvard or Yale mm -hmm. and whatnot, but decided, right. Hey, you know, I want to stay closer to home. You know what? Hey, I want to, I want to save a little bit of money because yeah. the tuitions there are crazy. Like go to the I'm university go of Utah or whatever. Yeah. It's all the same. It's all the same program. I went to Pepperdine. Same. They use H, the, the Harvard business of uh, the curriculum. You know, it's all yeah. the same. Yeah. You know. Totally. And I think I think also that diversity of thought is really important. Um, and I think that we would see a lot more. Um, I think I think it just contributes to the bottom line more in ways that people don't really realize, right? Because if you and I are sitting in a room, Bobby. I'm going to view things differently than you would. And I'm going to see things that you wouldn't and vice versa. Like you're going to see things that I wouldn't necessarily either. And having that perspective, when we're talking about looking at a new investment deal, like if I'm, if we're investment bankers and we're looking at a new deal, I'm, I might see a company that might be more 
profitable or whatever. Um, you know, if we're portfolio managers and we're stock picking, I might be more aware of a different trend in consumer goods or whatever than you are because I am a black woman and you are a white man. And I use different things than you do, right? And so when you just have a bunch of the same people in a room, you're not gonna get that perspective and you're losing out on profits. Like just, like I said, from a dollars and cents standpoint. And we all know that financial services knows how to calculate some money. So if you guys are not addressing this, then that you're, you're leaving money on the table. I could not agree more. And especially with the sentiment that if me and you were in the room, that you would definitely have a lot more good ideas than me because in all seriousness, <laughs> as I said offline, I'm not that smart. So let's, we, let's just make sure that that is very clear <laughs> to everybody. So, so Anna, this is my favorite question that I ask all my guests on here. And, and by the way, not to put, I, I don't, I, to put a bookend on, on our conversation that we just had, uh, you know, I invite everybody, go register for our event. This is going to yeah. be an awesome panel. I'm, I'm it really so is. excited. I'm so, super honored to be on it. I'm excited uh, about it too. Um, I, I really can't wait. So my favorite question. What, what investing or finance experience would you say has impacted your career the most? So my brother-in-law um, told me to sign up for a share builder account um, when I was in college. And he, um, him walking me through like how to analyze a stock. And this is the first time I ever really thought about it like as an adult sort of sort of adult um that was really impactful for me and i credit him so much for like make making me see the the access that i could have access to investing that was that was super impactful very cool. so shout out to edward <laughs> very cool oh i love it so then so what advice then do you have for my audience that's looking to develop a sustainable roadmap for financial success and, and building yeah. wealth? So I would say um, there are really two things. I think you have to sit down and really like have a hard why and a reason that you're going to have to not necessarily, I don't want to say sacrifice because that sounds really boring, but like you're going to have to make trade-offs in your life on what, what you're going to end up doing. And, and having a impactful reason for doing that is going to be really important. So for me personally, you know, that's retirement and saving for my kids' education. Like those are my non-negotiables. And if anything I'm doing is going to impact that for the worse, I'm not going to do it, you know? Um, and I think having that is going to be really important. And then I think also once you have that real reason, um, setting up your finances in such a way that you're not going to undermine that. So that's going to be like automating your savings. Um, I like to do a bucket approach for finances. And I think that those are two things that make it really like foolproof. Um, so long as you are committed to your why. Very cool. So with that, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know about you yeah. and to dare to dream financial planning? Yeah. So, um, you can go to my website, www.daretodreamplanning.com. Um, I also hang out a lot on Twitter. It's, uh, A N J I E K O N T E same on Instagram too. Well, with that, Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so, I, I was very insightful, so much fun. And, uh, like I said, I'm very excited for our panel and, and for our next chat. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Bobby. This was great. Thank you.